And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. And today, on Real Investment Show, we're going to start with a little ditty. Yeah, I know. Got to get one segment done and then move to the other. But we're glad you're here. We're going to have Michael Leibowitz with us today. Uh, seconds. Uh, the second uh, when we come back. I'm so tired. <laughs> I've lost my ability to speak. Um, we're in for a little bit of a storm here. So Mike is going to really clear up some information for us about the Fed, how, how they're going to move. We had J.P. Morgan just released their second quarter earnings. Their profit fell 28% after building reserves for bad loans. Looks like their earnings came in short as well as revenue. But in the meantime, we're all sweating our you-know-what's off. So I've written something just for you. There are clouds in West Texas, so my dryer can't run. There's no wind in West Texas, so my ice cream is done. All clouds, no wind in West Texas means this new deal is a pass. There are clouds in West Texas, and you know what that means. ERCOT can kiss my, and welcome. Glad you're here to join us today. We are living in a surreal world. We're up is down and down is up and sideways is who knows. Um, I interest, interesting story before we get into uh, the mess of the Fed. There was, a, well, I just did an interview with another radio station, I won't say. <clears throat> and I said, well, listen, Rich, how do you save money through this period of time with inflation where it is? And I want to talk to Michael a little bit about the, um, the flexible, uh, the sticky CPI or the Atlantas looking at the... Uh, Flexible cut of the CPI versus the sticky cut. And Atlanta Fed does a great job when it comes to inflation analysis. Um, and there's something very concerning going on with the sticky price part of that, or prices that don't change much and where the inflation levels happen to be. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about, again, everything that we need to hear about the Fed. But there is, people are going to thrift stores more than ever. We talked about that on this uh, interview. We also talked about there is a YouTube channel, right? This is Clara's Depression Cooking. Clara has oh, close to 7 million views, almost as much as Lance Roberts on YouTube. And what is she is doing? She's 98 years old, Nana Clara. And she is coming up with all these, uh, well, she's not coming up with them. She's revisiting all these recipes that she had made as a child. I was fixing to say, how old is she? She's 98. And she probably wrote these recipes. <laughs> but these are recipes even I remember, Brent, as a kid. Like macaroni and peas, right? There's a lot of pasta in there. Lots of potatoes in there, right? 
Lots of potatoes. She's got a poor man's stew, and she goes, my grandkids love this stew, right? And But I'm amazed by, I talk to people and go, hey, you ever heard of uh, you know Clara and her depression cooking? They go, oh, I watch it all the time. Where do you think I'm getting my meals? The concern I have when it comes to the Fed is, yes, they can create demand destruction, but we have got a supply problem whether it comes to our own bonehead policies with energy and drought and Ukraine, that our price is really going to fall to this Nirvana 2% target that the Fed is uh, always uh, examining. We'll have to wait and see. But one of the tips we also had is the, the, need, the uh, actual uh, activity at thrift stores is at an all-time high. Gen Z pretty much always shops at thrift stores. But this is a woman in, in Philly. She went to a Goodwill and she bought a coach bag for $6.99, right? Real bargain. So she takes, she takes the bag home and it's pretty dirty. And she tries to remove a flap at the base of the bag and she does it. And here's what she finds. She finds an envelope with 300 bucks in cash and a long note that was inside the envelope, which the shopper read. It says, I have three children. They will give my things to goodwill when I die. Obviously they did. So I'm putting their inheritance inside all my favorite things. The coach bag was given to me years ago by my husband's girlfriend. The letter then took a detour. Well, actually I came home early from a visit to my parents' house in Connecticut. She must have left quickly because she forgot her bag and shoes. <laughs> so it just talks to you, hey, listen, how do you want to go ahead and um, leave an inheritance? And yet you want your kids to find it? I tell you, Brent, this is the one of the most interesting stories I've read about an inheritance. Oh, yeah. And that comes up years ago. So, so she, she goes... In this letter, she goes, I carry this bag every day. I wonder if my husband ever knew this was his girlfriend's. I carried it daily and by giving it away because my kids don't want it. So go buy yourself a new bag. Love, Martha. But unbeknownst to Martha, she would gain a dedicated herd of fans from the video of this woman. Mrs. Silverman, who mm -hmm. bought the bag for six ninety nine. So you might be sitting on some incredible treasure. At thrift stores. I'm going to go home and check out the flaps in my wife's purses. <laughs> That's sort of personal. Or not. <laughs> Dear Brent, stop snooping. <laughs> Love, Darlene. <laughs> oh, and the dog peed in the living room again. Uh, but Martha was clearly a badass, obviously. She was hoping someone would find that, but at least maybe her husband would have found it mm -hmm. or her kids would have found it. It's just so funny that it was in a thrift store. How you leave an inheritance is obviously really important, and some people are pretty uh, creative when it comes to that. The key is you got to communicate while you're still alive. Obviously, Martha felt it, it was important to communicate after the fact, but boy, she did get the last laugh, uh, obviously. Um, so there, she's got a lot of um, admire, admirers, right? Um, on the coach's brands, on coach's TikTok, uh, coach uh, 
commented, Martha is an icon. <laughs> oh, again, again, this is the, uh, this is out of goodwill, right? And then there's another story. Thirty-four ninety-nine. this woman, Lori Young, walked out of a Texas Goodwill with a 2,000-year-old Roman bust that had been missing since World War II. Why are we here this morning? We should be at the thrift stores. Amazing. When you find a good deal, you just might be finding your retirement fund at Goodwill. Did you ever think of that, Brent? No lottery tickets for you. It's Goodwill. We get back, we've got the professor, Mike Leibowitz, to, uh, I don't know, unravel this mess that we're in with the Fed and inflation. When we get back here on The Real Investment Show, stay tuned. Daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Hurricane season is here. And along the Texas Gulf Coast, we know how to prepare. What we don't always know is which way the storm will go and if a hurricane does come your way, whether your house will flood. Fortunately, you can get flood insurance. Unfortunately, flood insurance rates have skyrocketed. Don't be at risk. Let the specialists at RIA Insurance assess your needs and shop your coverage for the best rates possible. Another service from realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the insurance tab, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And we're back. Good morning. Lance Roberts back on Monday. We have Financial Fitness Friday tomorrow with Mr. Ratliff. Um, And what's coming is Inflation Nation. Well, you're already in Inflation Nation, but we have a nine-step inflation battle plan for you. And that's going to be Thursday, August 4th at noon. It's your lunch to learn. Maybe you would make your lunch using uh, Nana Clara, one of her recipes. Mac and peas. Yeah. Mac and peas, not mac and cheese. Can't afford cheese anymore. Yeah, really. A, I wonder when the government's going to start issuing cheese again. It's too expensive. Yeah. All that government cheese, it's in Fort Knox. Did you, did you read the story about the guy that found an old can of government cheese and decided to open it? There's a guy on YouTube that tries everything. Old, he finds old food from uh-huh. like World War II and so forth, and he eats it. Ew. And just say, well, I don't know, tastes still like it, still tastes okay, <laughs> and all that. This is where we're all going to be going, Mike. So this is going to be our nine-step inflation battle plan. How to micro budget? How do you should you postpone Social Security for a higher cola? The estimate. We're going to talk a little bit more about this tomorrow. But the estimate for next year's cost of living adjustment is close to ten percent. How to re- renegotiate your uh, credit card interest rates? Listen, you can do it. It's not easy. But you can. But right now we're here with the professor. Oh, I'm so happy. This is Janet Yellen to be with Michael Leibowitz, although he <laughs> does pick on me a lot. And I don't know if your mother ever taught you not to pick on old ladies. Thanks for being here, Michael. 
<laughs> Richard, you sound just like my mother. <laughs> Give me a hug, Mom. I didn't know my mom was going to interview me today. <laughs> I am fall. I am morphing into like a ninety-eight-year-old woman. So unfortunately, she doesn't listen to the show, so I can say whatever uh, I want about Mama, Mama Leibowitz. Well, listen, uh, there's so much to unpack here. I don't even know where to go first. But I was thinking maybe we can hit. Uh, what's your thoughts on J.P. Morgan this morning and what major banks are going to say? Well, first of all, about their own earnings and what you think is coming up. And also what you think they might be gonna, going to say about credit card usage as people are in households are getting more distressed and going to credit cards yeah. for the basics. Yeah, J.P. Morgan's earnings came out today, and they were not good. Their revenue, their earnings, uh, a, bunch of, a bunch of data they put out was below estimates. Mm -hmm. I think that the most troubling part of this was not – I think a lot of that was expected, and it, you know, we should expect it for other banks, but they suspended share buybacks. That's, I think, the big ticket item mm -hmm. within everything they said. That tells me they're battening down the hatches, right? They're, they're trying to save capital. That's not necessarily saving money. It's capital. They have a bunch of capital requirements they have to meet, and they must be concerned that losses are going to start increasing mm -hmm. and that they don't have enough capital or that they may need, you know, they want to buffer their capital base to withstand a storm that they thought was that they didn't think was going to be as big prior to suspending share buybacks. So, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't mean we're going to have a depression, but I think JP Morgan is getting conservative here and they're saying, we don't know what's coming. The Fed is now potentially going to raise rates by a full percent and keep raising rates throughout the fall. Right. The economy is slipping. You know, whether it's in a recession or not is very debatable, but it's certainly heading in that direction. And J.P. Morgan is is I don't know how they could warn you any more than suspending share buybacks. I agree with you. And, and they're actually heeding Jamie Dimon's warning that there's a storm coming. Right. This is what is a little unusual about this. And tell me if I'm incorrect is that to see a bank actually preparing for a storm as opposed to going into it and then asking to be rescued? You know what? This is a well-choreographed uh, situation. Mm -hmm. You know, the Fed has been pretty open. The Fed has been pretty aggressive. I think we all know how dependent the economy is on the level of interest rates. Mm -hmm. And... I think everything has been gradual. The stock market is off about 20%, but there hasn't been panic for the most part. Bond, you know, bond yields have risen. Interest rates have risen decently. There's not, there's not really panic. It's been gradual. Um, and whether that's because the Fed has been very open about what they're doing and you know, they're fighting inflation and they've made that very clear. Inflation is public enemy number one. Right. And they don't care. I mean, they do care about jobs. They do care about the economy, but they've made it very clear that they have to get inflation down. And I think there is some solace in the markets uh, because of that, uh, because they realize that if the Fed goes back to their old ways and says, oh, no, we're going into a recession. Oh, no. J.P. Morgan's stock is down again we got to start easing or we have to stop tightening. 
they really run the risk that they lose control over everything. Even though, you know, I think a lot of people will tell you, well, if the Fed were to say today that they're not going to tighten rates at the end of July, the market would rally and maybe would rally for 10 minutes. But I think the bond market would be a disaster. Yields would shoot higher. You know, we'd be talking about 7% mortgage rates, 8% mortgage rates, and the stock market would then follow the bond market. So the Fed's, you know, and we've talked about this before, they're in quite the predicament. And JP Morgan knows it. We've heard it from so many different other corporations. We talked a lot about Target, Walmart, mm -hmm. uh, even Restoration Hardware, we write about in the commentary, because they've been kind of, believe it or not, on the leading edge of this whole thing. Right. And that, they're uh, a great indicator. Very early on and continually warning. What did you say, uh, which was interesting, that this is really one of the first times we've seen wealthier households pull back? On saving, on on spending, and that's what you see in restoration hardware. But I just read a report about how Dollar General got downgraded this morning. That there's pressure there, so it seems like it's hitting every economic uh, income strata uh, when it comes to this situation, this cycle. I mean, here's the way to think about it. Okay. Yeah, you know, we have you know roughly 10% inflation. Wages are growing at 5%. Mm -hmm. So on average, everyone just took a 5% pay cut last year. The, the, the lowest income classes are have to spend less on less money, right? They have less money or they can borrow money. The wealthier, it doesn't hit as much because they don't spend as high a percentage of their income. Right. But stock market's down 20%. Mm -hmm. The bond market's down 10 plus percent. Their wealth is down, you know, probably 15 to 30%. So, so while inflation doesn't hit them as hard, they, they pay the same prices as everyone else, but their wealth, you know, got, got reduced by a fifth or a quarter or whatever it may be. So they're starting to, you know, again, batten down the hatches. Yeah, there's and, a contraction in that wealth effect for sure. Yeah. And I think it's also the political climate. Uh, I don't know numbers about this. Uh, and also where we might go. Uh, I just think people are less confident. We see that in uh, consumer confidence. We see that in the uh, small business indexes, right? That tell us mm -hmm. where small businesses are from an optimism standpoint. It's not there. Um, right. what, what's been stubborn is unemployment and where we are from an employment perspective, right? I know the labor force participation rate isn't where it was uh, pre-pandemic. And you have to take into account population growth over the last two years to figure out that there are still a lot of people on the sidelines that have decided not to go back to work. Um, how do you think unemployment gets affected here as the Fed continues to tighten and conditions worsen? And this is where it's so unusual, right, post-pandemic, how it may not act as it did before as far as what kind of unemployment rate you're going to need to see to really create demand destruction, even though we're seeing it in some form right now. I think that the, the destruction in the job market will be slow and then fast. I, I still think there's, uh, from talking to people that own smaller businesses to hearing what companies are saying, like the, the uh, small business survey, NFIB, which came out Monday or Tuesday, mm -hmm. said that 50% of those surveyed are still having trouble hiring. So they're still trying to hire and they can't even hire the people they want to hire, despite the fact that their expectations are the worst they've ever recorded. Uh, talking to my brother who runs a print shop, 
he said, I can't fire people. It took me so long to get these mm -hmm. people. They're borderline competent, but borderline competent is good enough right now after everything he's been through. So I think it's just people are going to be or businesses are going to be very slow to let people go because they know how hard it is to rehire people. But at some point, they don't have a choice. Business slips all slips. They're not making as much money and they have to cut somewhere. And at some point, that's where they cut. And that's why I think the unemployment rate, the jobless claims rate, which will come out this morning, will will get worse. And then it'll get really worse as this continues. And maybe that'll be later this year, early next year. And I, that poses a problem for the Fed because it kind of masks what's really going on. Mm -hmm. The Fed is, in theory, supposed to be about to be concerned about two things, prices and jobs. So they're saying, well, the jobs market is fine. Look at this. You know, we're still at very, very low levels, even though there's been a slight uh, it's gotten worse very slightly. But prices are, are sky high. Let's just focus on prices and not jobs. And I think that's that's you know, we talk about these Fed traps. That's a huge Fed trap. And uh, to be honest, I don't have the answer for the Fed. They've set these traps. Right. Now they're falling in them. Um, we, so it's going to be tough sledding ahead. We might see, interestingly enough, more white collar unemployment in this cycle. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, they're they're easier to hire in many cases and they make more money. So maybe it makes more sense to fire the one executive instead of 10 of those line line workers that you just can't find. Mm -hmm. Hey, we get back. I want to talk about the dollar king dollar as the dollar soars here. When you look at the dollar spot index this morning and what it means for earnings, what it means uh, to overseas markets. So uh, I'm Rich Rosso here with Mike Leibowitz here on The Real Investment Show. Stay tuned for our next segment. We'll be right back. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com in 1999 a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients best interest these men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the houston energy corridor today still excoriated by their former employers they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Texas is that feeling when you open the oven to check on your cookies and you burn your face. And there are no cookies. And you can't shut the oven door. <laughs> That's thanks to Brent Clan. And boy, is that the case. Man. Whew. Man. I know I already talked about this on the radio show, but when I was in Luling, the car registered a temperature of 120 degrees. That's the first. <laughs> and Amy goes, and baking alive. I'm like, you're from here. 
You're used to baking alive, but man, it is at another level. Speaking of hot, hot, hot. Yes. The Bloomberg dollar index just hit its highest in data going back to 2005. I mean, the dollar, Mr. Leibowitz, is on fire. Give us Dollars and fuego. And fuego. I mean, so I think the euro, euro has fallen 12% to the dollar, right? I think we're close to or exceeding that we're dollar parity now with the euro. But, you it's know, just, right. go through And people don't understand because, you know, I talk to people every day. You know what they tell me? Oh, my doll, the dollar stinks. You know, the economy, the, the, the U.S. is collapsing. I said, listen, have you looked? I understand because of inflation how you feel. But have you looked at a dollar index lately? It's a Selma Hayek thing going on there. So uh, <laughs> so why don't you go ahead and give us an idea of the good and the bad. Can we put Selma good, on the, the dollar? Bad, the we could put Selma uh, Hayek on the $100 bill. <clears throat> I, there's a lot to unpack with the dollar. Mm -hmm. It affects so many different things. I think the first thing to realize is that almost everything in this world trades in dollars. So even if it's a uh, Canadian company trading with a company from the Philippines, they're using dollars. So everyone uses dollars and they have to convert their currencies to dollars and convert it back to their currencies when they do these transactions. They also keep money in dollars and that's what helps support our bond markets and to a much lesser degree, other capital markets, stock markets. So, when you when you think about the dollar, the the kind of the the first thing I think a lot of people think about is how does it translate to other currencies? Mm -hmm. And like you said, the dollar is up about eight percent in just the last two months. That means if you are took a trip to Europe two months ago and you're taking another trip to Europe today, Lance's trip, Lance's trip was eight percent cheaper this time than it would have been two months ago. That means I better get more stuff. So that means, yeah, it's you better time be buying to travel. It. Yeah, it's time to travel. It also so. means that everything we buy, and we are a net importer by a long stretch, has become cheaper. Mm -hmm. So th there's the positive. There's the good. Right. Is that it is tempering inflation. You know, inflation would be worse, believe it or not, if the dollar was weak. But the dollar's strong against just about every currency. You know, if you look at it, it's the dollar index, which is primarily the dollar against some combination of the euro and the yen and then a few other currencies. But it's the euro and the yen that that kind of drive the dollar index. The dollar index has risen about eight percent in just the last two months and over the last year, almost 20 percent. So that's a lot of purchasing power for people traveling abroad or buying products abroad. Now, the problem with it is it does make it makes it rougher on our exporters that want to sell product abroad for just the opposite reason, that those prices are now 8% or 20% more expensive. And when we as we look through corporate earnings, start thinking about which companies tend to import goods and which ones tend to export goods. And I think that'll really help you get a, a better gauge on who may outperform or underperform expectations uh, because it's certainly having a big hit. Now, what's important is that they hedge. They're not just blindly relying on where the dollar, the euro, the yen, whatever currency, the Canadian loonie, whatever it is, right. Australian dollar, they hedge. The question 
in many businesses is how well do they hedge. So, so corporate earnings will be affected. Some of them probably hedged very well. Some of them probably didn't hedge well enough. And it may positively, it may negatively affect earnings. But I think the, the much bigger ticket item, and I think this continues to be underappreciated, and it's kind of crazy. There is approximately, and it's hard to put an exact number on it, but somewhere between 10 and $15 trillion of money borrowed in U.S. dollars abroad. So what that means is, let's just uh, take, a, uh, take an Italian. They convert their euros to dollars. They, or they, I'm sorry, they borrow money in dollars. Mm -hmm. They convert it to euros. They buy something, a, a factory, a house, whatever it is, in euros. And then they have to make their payments in dollars. And at the end of the day, they have to return, pay back the principal in dollars. So with both the interest and principal, they have to pay dollars, but that rate is always changing. So when we take out a mortgage and we're paying 4%, we take out a $100,000 mortgage and we're paying 4%, we're paying that same $4,000 uh, every year with, with, uh, someone borrowing abroad, it doesn't quite work that way. They have to, every time they have an interest payment, they have to pay it in dollars. So if you, you know, if you look at a company that was in Europe and borrowing in dollars, their interest payment from just three months ago to today just rose by 8%. And if they have to prepay, pay back the principal that rose by 8% as well. So, What's really going on here is, you know, we're worried about the Fed raising 1% mm -hmm. that they've just raised half a percent, 75 basis points. Over the last three months, the euro just, you know, for all these dollar borrower, dollar borrowers rose 8%. This is going to have a big effect on the global economy. The Fed is really, and the market, not just the Fed, is really tightening global monetary policy right right to a to a to a massive degree and I, I think what's interesting and i believe me the central bankers know this and we've started to hear them talk about how they may have to intervene in markets they say it more gently than that uh but they're basically talking about how it may be time for them to make sure markets trade their code word is trade orderly uh meaning don't go to where we don't want it to go um, and mm -hmm. we've seen that with the euro. The euro is almost just about down a parity, meaning that one euro equals one dollar. Mm -hmm. That is down from 120 not that long ago, 115. So that's a you know, it's just a number. One is a number, nine, you know, 98 cents, 102 are just numbers, but. That's a key number, I think, in the market size. And if a dollar breaks, if parity breaks, the euro could go much lower. Mm -hmm. And I don't think the Fed wants that. I don't think the ECB, European Central Bank, wants it. And if you look at kind of a, a short-term graph, and by short-term, I mean like, you know, five-minute, one-minute kind of trading, you see that there's been a good amount of support for the euro right above parity. So... Uh, yeah, I, I think what we're starting to see is the central banks realize that they need to step in a little bit and the dollar may take a breather from here be, purely because the central banks 
can't afford to let the dollar strength continue. So think about this so, from a think about it from a portfolio level perspective. I'm, you know, I'm told, right? I'm told even though the um, you know market theories have been bastardized by Wall Street to serve their needs, um, and I'm told I should be diversifying all the time into international and emerging markets, no matter what, because I'm spreading my risk. How is that going to work for you today? If I have, say, half my equity exposure in, you know, I put 25% in emerging markets, I put the rest in developed euro markets along with U.S., because that's what I'm told. Yeah, it's, you know, and again, you know, the bigger problem, too, is that they're doing it passively. So they're just buying a broad index. Right. They're not buying those companies in the emerging mm -hmm. markets or developed markets, foreign developed markets, that actually may do well with a stronger dollar. And you're right, I'm They're assuming just, it's more of a passive indexing kind right. of approach. Right. right, and that's a problem. And look, we've seen foreign markets have gotten hit worse than the US markets. Mm -hmm. They're, they're, they tend to be, you know, and they tend to be more commodity related, less tech, tech, uh, tech uh, contribution to their indices, but they've gotten hit worse. And it's because they're more affected by higher interest rates. They're mm -hmm. being affected by the dollar greatly. And, you know, there's also a flight to quality. The dollar is rising. So some money is coming back to the U.S. because you can get much higher interest rates here. And you have, quite honestly, a Fed that is, compared to many other central banks, doing the right thing. They're fighting inflation and they're fighting it aggressively. If you look at what the ECB is doing, they're taking baby steps to fighting inflation. Maybe we'll raise by 25 basis points. And Japan's doing the opposite. We're going to keep easing. We're so concerned because our 10-year rate may go above 0.25%. So, you know, in the grand scheme of things, the Fed is the hero. But, but part of the problem being the hero is the dollar and what's going on with the dollar. There is no savior to diversification in down markets. An international is not going to protect you, as people tell me, and as brokers will tell me today, that if I have domestic and international markets, that I have expanded my opportunities. Well, I've also increased my risk, possibly more than I want to. So it's not, you can diversify very easily across the board without touching international. It's trying to time it as best you can. When we get back, we're going to talk about some municipal bond issuers are falling behind on disclosures. Is there a reason why? With Mike Lee Woods, we'll be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Hurricane season is here. And along the Texas Gulf Coast, we know how to prepare. What we don't always know is which way the storm will go and if a hurricane does come your way, whether your house will flood. Fortunately, you can get flood insurance. Unfortunately, flood insurance rates have skyrocketed. Don't be at risk. Let the specialists at RIA Insurance assess your needs and shop your coverage for the best rates possible. Another service from realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the insurance tab, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Ah, 
and welcome back to the Real Investment Show. I'm here with uh, the professor, Michael Leibowitz. All things Fed and macro economies. I can see you um, teaching at a prestigious university with those patches on your on your jacket, with your pipe. The prestigious two-year college. <laughs> hey, you know what? Listen, I wrote in my book that every every uh, prospective college student should go to um, community college first to get their basics. My daughter did that. It worked great. Best deal on the street. I don't disagree. Yeah. Even though my kids are all doing the four-year pay-as-much-as-you-can route. Well, you know, you and Lance have the big bucks. I live on the poor side of town. Big, big so, money. <laughs> Professors make a lot of money. <laughs> you, you're tenured. Um, Morgan Stanley, they missed. Obviously, it talks about where risk-taking is, right, when it looks at uh, the collapse in IPO markets and debt and equity issuance this year. So uh, what are your thoughts on, uh, you know, the, hit, the hits just keep coming here today? Yeah, so J.P. Morgan, I think, tells us more about the broader economy. Right. Morgan Stanley is more of an investment banker. They're not making nearly as many loans to mom and pop or to small businesses. They are much more a deal maker, uh, IPOs, SPACs, more, a little more market oriented. Not to say they're not making loans. So I think it tells us what we kind of already know, mm -hmm. that IPO issuance this year is horrendous. So there's not much revenue coming from that. Uh, SPACs have been in the toilet. Um, it's just deal making is very low this year. So Morgan Stanley is kind of getting hit. You know, their, their, their miss is more because of the markets. JP Morgan certainly lost money because of the markets too, but they're also more a a tell of the broader economy. Um, and, you know, banks have been trading poorly. The financials have been trading poorly. Mm -hmm. And the other thing to think about, and we haven't brought this up yet, is the yield curve. So the difference ah, right. between bond yields, the two to 10 year bond, uh, the two to 10 year curve is now minus 15 basis points, meaning that the two year has a higher yield than the 10 year. Well, if you think about how banks traditionally run their businesses, they take in your deposits and they pay you a very short term rate and then they lend it out at a longer term. So the difference between the two to 10 year, the one to 10 year is often seen as a proxy for bank margins. Right. And right now those are flat to negative. Mm -hmm. So not to say they're losing money on loans, but their margins are coming down rapidly are are shrinking rapidly. And that's also weighing on the banks. And, you know, we've seen them trading poorly as we've seen this pretty abrupt shift in the yield curve just over the last week or so. Um, well, you see, like a lot of these regional bank stocks have been taken out to the woodshed. I right. mean, they are down and it makes sense to your point. Makes sense. You know, and, and if it does make sense, why Morgan Stanley missed. I'd have been shocked if it, if it I, actually I'm, I'm surprised that. The earnings came in as close as they did. Right. Uh, but now, maybe in now, the next quarter we'll see if that gets worse. Right. Now, banks have a lot of – banks can really sway their earnings. They can move money around. They can – what banks are doing, and I haven't looked at this for J.P. Morgan yet, is but they will most likely set aside cash in reserves mm -hmm. for potential losses. Right. So the question is how much did they set aside? Was it not enough, too much? Um 
And that's what we don't know. Now, conversely, when we get to the other end of this, they're going to be they most likely will have put aside too much and they'll be releasing it. And we've talked about that and that helps earnings. But in the meantime, look, JP, I don't know what JP Morgan did, but hypothetically, let's say they didn't put aside any reserves. They may have beat on their earnings number, not yeah. revenue, but earnings on number. earnings. But so so you got to take all this with some grain of salt and with financials so much more than most companies, you really have to look at the details. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Pepsi released their earnings on Monday or Tuesday. We're snacking. Here's what I thought was very interesting. Uh -huh. Unit sales. So how much of the stuff they actually sold by product, by weight, not by by revenue dollars was up 1%. Sales were up 12%. So Pepsi, Frito-Lay, um, I'm not sure what else Pepsi sells, you know, all the beverage products, they're passing on the cost to the consumers. Right. So they're paying. Pepsi, at least, it's, that's there's great. pricing power there. I was shocked. But they have it, pricing power. Like you said, I mean, a lot of companies are going to lose that ability to pass on. And, I think and, it's and because look, it's such a diversified portfolio of different foods that people eat all day that they're able to get what they're able to get. It's, it's rare, but I think Pepsi put themselves in that position, which is great. And look, I don't even know what a can of Pepsi costs anymore. I've been drinking that stuff in ages, but let's just say it went from a dollar to a dollar ten for a can. It's it's ten percent inflation. That's a lot of inflation, but it's a dime. So, you know, I think a lot of people just it, it's it's not the percentage, it's the dollars. So maybe on some of these very low cost items, they those kind of companies can pass on the costs more so than the, the higher ticket items. That's another thing to keep in mind this earnings season is what are they selling and how well can they pass on uh, higher inflation to their consumers? So, in other words, people are still eating their Doritos. Maybe Dorito is Doritos and Pepsi are for dinner now. It's Doritos and peas. That may be the you know that that uh, may pasta. be the bigger problem. <laughs> Mama Clara is working with Pepsi now and Doritos. Is there a Dorito Pepsi soup she can make? <laughs> it reminds me of the Three Stooges when they go, uh, "We're having fillet of sole and heel." Um, when things were rough. So here's an interesting perspective. Um, S&P global ratings withdrew ratings for 30 cities, counties, and municipalities because they hadn't filed their 2020 financial statements. And obviously companies are really good at this. The, the timetable that's mandated for corporations, obviously for U.S. corporations, occur. But there's a lot of late disclosures going on in the municipal bond market. I think I know why, but do you have any um, idea what that would be? Uh, what's I'm causing guessing, that? <laughs> I'm guessing they're very short-staffed, that they uh, have oh, okay. not only short-staffed, but incompetent-staffed because of what happened over the last two years. I'm thinking they didn't want to, <laughs> based <laughs> on true? based on budgets uh, and what's going on with uh, with the markets, and obviously their ratings are in jeopardy. I mean, I just think that a lot of muni balance sheets are are in trouble. Maybe. I, I think it could be all the above. And mm -hmm. now they're being faced with much higher borrowing costs. So they're trying to, the higher rated you are, the lower your borrowing costs. So 
you know, if you put yourself in a municipal shoes and they're double A rated, but they know that if they disclose what they're supposed to disclose, how much money they borrowed in 2020 in uh, 2020 or 2021, they would get downgraded. Well, that downgrade may cost them half a percent. And they're worried, right? Right now, their their revenue, especially states that have income taxes, is fine. But I think they see what JP Morgan sees, and they're going to be borrowing more. So I don't disagree with you. Uh, but there's probably a lot of factors driving that. Well, it looks like they were saying, okay, so there are many municipalities in South Dakota, Florida, Ohio that have filed on time. It's just going to be interesting to see because there's got to be a lot of distress on the books for municipal markets uh, overall. So we'll see. But what are your thoughts on, um, I think we have PPI coming out this morning. Is that right? PPI. Uh, well, here's what's interesting. And mm-hmm. if you read our commentary, that's going to come out in about a half hour. Mm-hmm. I think CPI is, a, is flawed. And it's flawed in that the prices of goods tends to be delayed. And we've talked about this before, Lance and I have. So house prices, food prices, gas prices are not necessarily in the last CPR, CPI report from June. There's some combination of averages going back all the way to March. So what what you're going to see if you look at today's commentary is that the price of all the futures, futures products for all kinds of agricultural products and energy products, they all peaked very late May, very early June, and all of them were lower for the month of June, some by as much as 30, 40 percent some by only a few percent, but most of them were at least double digits lower. So you go and you look at that number yesterday, it was driven higher by a lot of things, but food, energy, and shelter. Shelter is primarily rent. Well, we have a good feeling that house prices are coming down, that rent prices are finally kind of hitting the wall and maybe have started slipping a little bit. But we know that the underlying food agriculture prices. We know gasoline, crude oil is down to 93 bucks this morning. It was 120 plus not that long ago. You know, we know the gas at the pump, it's still very high, but it's, you know, here at least in DC, it's in kind of the mid fours. It's come down here. It's not that long ago. Yeah, it's below four. So we should hear less screaming about about that. But when you look at the Atlanta Fed and you look at their uh, sticky price index, what's very concerning is to see how it's how it's running. And those are the prices that take long to change, that that sticky price inflation has been increasing over the last few months. And I think that's what scares the Fed. Mm -hmm. The Fed's kind of thinking, okay, we'll get inflation down, we'll get food and energy down. But where does that leave us? And maybe it leaves us at 5% because of all these sticky, stickier prices, prices that don't really go up or down as much. And I think that's what's concerning to the Fed is yep. that at the end of the day, after they do all this, they still have an inflation problem, albeit hey, 5%, not 8%. So listen, you, you've got to sign up at Real Investment Advice for the daily commentary, Lance's newsletter, to keep track of Mike's writings. you got to Mike, Mike, Mike and Lance, they're writing every day. So you'll have take a look at the blog this morning. Uh, thanks for being with us tomorrow. Financial Fitness Friday. Danny Ratliff will be joining me. Thanks. Thanks for uh, listening in today. We appreciate it. Have a good day. Well,
bad.